Coming up, you're going to discover why rewarded engagement drives better users than incentivized traffic. Also, you'll discover how today's guest is using Facebook ads to drive downloads for his own apps and why automating this process has allowed him to scale with just seven team members. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Want to double your downloads using ASO? Check out appmastersacademy.com to discover our exact ASO strategies to grow your downloads. That's appmastersacademy.com. CleverTap brings together real-time user insights, an advanced segmentation engine, and easy-to-use marketing tools in one mobile marketing platform. Go check them out at clevertap.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content in the app business. And today, we're going to talk all about rewarded engagement. If you have no idea what that term means, well, we've got the guy to tell you exactly about it. I've got today's guest. His name is Daniel Todd. He's currently the CEO and founder of Influence Mobile. Check him out at InfluenceMobile.com. He's also a Disney Techstars mentor and advisor to several startups. Previously, he co-founded the online media company Zango in 1999. While there, Zango ranked several times in the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies, ranking as high as number seven. Congrats, Dan. Businesses that he's created have generated over $1 billion, that's what the B, dollars in revenue. So without further ado, Daniel Todd, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Steve. Excited to be here. All right, Dan, let's just get right into it. Let's talk a little bit about rewarded engagement. What the heck is it? Sure. I mean, everybody does it, right? You, you. If you've ever used a mileage plan, you know, every time I go to book a flight, I'm, I'm, I'm go to Alaska first or Virgin America, and I'm getting rewarded for my engagement. And so we've tried to take that concept to the mobile app, and we say, hey, uh, if you, if you love games, uh, we want you to use games within our network, and we're going to reward you for doing that. Uh, typically, based on what you do in the app around purchases, reaching specific levels. So, imagine it's like a mileage plan for games. I like that. And then you started out just to because I know we talked before about this too, but you kind of have a portfolio apps that you've built a really large user base to, and then Influence Mobile allows advertisers to access this pool of users. Yeah, so what we do is we feel like rewarded engagement alone is is good, right? But what we do is we try to tie that to an affinity or something that someone loves. And so we currently focus primarily on sports. So we say, hey, if you're a major – we were just talking about Tom Brady. If you're a major Patriots fan and you like playing games, why not play games within our network to earn a free Brady jersey or hat or shoes or whatever? Uh, we've given away about $8 million worth of rewards uh, – primarily of the sports gear and digital gift cards to people who simply say, yeah, I'll play this match three game within your network instead of what I was doing before. And then app developers pay us to drive that return on ad spend for them. How does it, how does that start? I mean, how did it all start? Did you focus more on just building all the games and you're thinking like, Hey, I want to really, you know, like make it work with the game side of things or with the app side of things and targeting these users. So it actually started in 99, the first company I built, we built uh, an advertising product that we really focused on 
solving the solution for advertisers back in the desktop days. And we were really sort of, we underserved the consumer. So we were some of those shareware companies where you could download a screensaver or a wallpaper, a game or whatever, and then you'd get a toolbar put into it. And what I found was, is because of the casual nature of the content we were giving away, people didn't really value it very much. Even though we spent millions of dollars on games companies to give you a free $19.99 app, uh, as soon as someone got done playing their game, if we showed them ads a week later, they would call us spyware or adware or all these really negative connotations. And we would be showing them an ad because they searched for, say, you know, uh, Bahama Cruise. We'd show them Bahama Cruise page, which was very effective for the advertiser, but it kept being underwhelming on a consumer side. And so when I started this company, I was like, how do I solve something for the advertiser, but also deliver massive value to the person, the player? And so I figured if I associate myself with the things that they care about the most, they won't ever forget about that. And so that was the original concept was using Affinity. Actually, our original name was Affinity Influencing System. So using Affinity to influence people's future behavior. And then that evolved into the app side of things. Got it. And so you always knew that you wanted to build an advertising platform. How did you decide to get into the app side of things then? So we actually were forced into it by Facebook. We started doing celebrity rewards programs that were more aligned around the desktop business that I had done before. And, you know, probably around would have been 2014, Facebook started, you know, uh, the celebrities would post and we used to get 90% desktop traffic. And then all of a sudden it was 30%, 40% mobile traffic and we didn't have a good solution. And so we started putting all these shopping opportunities into these mobile apps and, and people weren't well, they weren't buying it. They didn't they didn't want to shop. We, what what we could do on the desktop we couldn't do in the mobile app back then. And so uh, we wanted to start testing advertising. And none of the uh, celebrities would would approve advertising. They're all like, who else is doing it? And and no no one wanted to go first. So we actually launched the Seattle Seahawks app the year that they ended up playing the Denver Broncos just as a test, just to just to actually be like, hey, we're all Seahawks fans. We know a lot of female Seahawks fans. We can get them to use it. <clears throat> and Within six months, it was doing 90% of our revenue. And so we said, all right, well, we're going to do sports. And that still didn't evolve to what Engage was, but it was definitely uh, in, in influencing people's digital actions on the phone, which was primarily driven by a uh, relationship we had with Facebook and people using apps. And 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 uh, what, I, what I craved was more than just this, hey, use this app. We wanted to say, like, use this app and making app purchases and reached level 50. And so we spent the last couple of years building this, what we call engage that drives this reward engagement platform. And that just became the natural evolution, right? It wasn't obvious to us that that was what we were going to do, but that's where the momentum kind of took us and it's been, been successful so far. So I definitely want to get to understand what's the difference between reward engagement versus like incentivized traffic. But have you always considered like targeting female sports fans because i think that's what your main appeal is hey it's female it's it's people who love sports and so have you always always wanted to target that demographic yeah so uh even back in 1999 my goal was to reach females as you probably know they're the the largest uh shoppers you know they primarily have the largest share of wallet uh and they've been the primary game players for a long time like i think a lot of people keep thinking you know 
maybe people know now, but even 10 years ago, people thought games were primarily played by teenage boys, but we saw massive amounts of, of women downloading these casual games on the desktop. And we knew, and at the, in those days it was all about shopping. And so we were driving, it was always about trying to capitalize on shopping dollars, which is again, how we started. <clears throat> but then we saw that they were just as happy uh, playing casual games on their phone. And so it's always been about reaching a female demographic. Sports just happened to be, like I said, we kind of backed into that. Uh, we're actually expanding. We're expanding outside of traditional sports. We're doing racing and NASCAR. But we want to get into yoga and fitness and really any anything where there's a strong passion and say, hey, you're already doing all this stuff. Do this now for rewards in your, in your thing. So it's less about the sports, although that's what we focus on right now. It's more about how do you engage a female audience and, and help influence their future uh, actions. So I'm more of a Niner fan. And then if I have an influence mobile type of app it's for Niners fans and if I gauge with let's say another match three game I do certain levels then I get points that I can then use for Niners memorabilia so how is this different from like incentivized traffic Dan so traditionally uh and thankfully I'm not an incentivized traffic expert I just know (laughs) the negative perceptions that people have which has been uh, years ago, people would use incentivized traffic for one purpose only, which was to drive a lot of short-term installs to game their way up the App Store rankings, and and that worked for a lot of people, right? So, but that worked because the resulting traffic got them organic installs for free. There were very little times where the actual spend itself drove any kind of meaningful interactions, but because there was big success there, more and more people started to consider it legitimate channels, and so. And and because it was kind of a workaround to get organic traffic, I think more and more money was spent there. When we came out and started doing what we were doing, people just immediately assumed it was the same thing. And so we had to explain to them that the difference between, you know, rewarding a uh, an install versus actually doing what we're doing would be the difference between giving people mileage points just by visit for visiting alaska.com versus actually buying a ticket, right? There's no, there's very little value. There's some value if someone goes to alaska.com and looks at tickets, but that's what an incent install was. All it did was get a person to preliminarily engage with the product. We're really focused about shifting that behavior, getting people to, to play these games for weeks and months. We even have year long partnerships where people can play games for a whole year. <clears throat> and that, is I mean the the difference in quality is night and day. Like many of our partners will tell us that our product delivers better than organic traffic quality for them versus incent, which is basically like a throwaway install. So they're on opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of quality, but because of people's past experiences, it's easy for them to confuse one word for the other. I see. And then do you got do you guys help developers who want to advertise on your platform with what should the levels be? Should it be level three, level four, or should developers already know this coming before coming to you guys? Uh, it helps. We we de- we definitely try to help. I mean, we're not an expert either in every single game, but we do know the types of things. Like we we don't want to reward just an activity that can be done in five minutes, right? We're really trying to engage something that might take weeks, but we also don't want that to be the only reward, right? So it's uh, we think of it a little bit like breadcrumbs. You're setting breadcrumbs to get people into the app experience that they hopefully know is the most enticing. There's a lot of times, I was mentioning to you, I'm a big game player, and there's some games you pick up and immediately you just love it and you're playing it, but there's other games that takes a little bit to grow on you and and if you can if you can have some lubrication some for some points to play it a day or two and you get you you kind of get over the initial hurdles and all of a sudden you love it that's where we're providing a lot of value for these app developers and so we work with them 
with whatever they have, and then we give them as much advice as we can. And some, like I mentioned, some people are more than willing to take our advice. Others want to do it the way they've done it. And so we're constantly trying to balance, you know, what, what we can do based on what we recommend we do. So, I mean, as someone who's not a complete expert in the engagement field either, but I would imagine like even working with you guys kind of saying, okay, how can I get people to come back day one? So, you know, what type of engagement campaign can I run with you guys that'll help my day one retention? And then what kind of maybe like as a follow-up, maybe a campaign that will help my day seven retention rate. And those would be the primary factors that I would be looking at. Yeah. And so the, what, where we contribute there is the, our own value proposition to the consumer, right? We're lending that to the game. We say, Hey, we're getting this person to come back because of this reward. And that's very motivating. We know they're a, you're a 49ers fan. You're working towards a Jerry Rice jersey. Uh, you're, you're checking the scores and the schedules and the rosters in our app every day already. So we say, hey, remember, Steve, now that you're here, you know, go, go play Wheel of Fortune again today, and you're going to get one step closer to that Jerry Rice jersey, right? And, and so that we take that affinity that you have and we lend it to the game, and that drives a lot of of repetition and that repetition is what creates the cadence that gets people to stay in those games long after the rewarded window, which is what's not obvious. A lot of people think they're only going to do the things as long as they're rewarded, which there are some that do that. And we call them point vacuums and we monitor those people very quickly, getting them out of high value offers. But a lot of people are simply just saying, Hey, I'm already playing, you know, this other match three game shifting to this match three game or this card game or this dice game within this network is a really easy swap for me, but it creates a tremendous amount of value for that app developer that we move them to and everybody's winning. So is there a case study that you like to point to Dan? Um, I mean, we have two big partners that we, that we like that they're on different ends of the spectrum relative to how we engage with them. One is Scopely, who runs a lot of top-tier titles like Wheel of Fortune, Yahtzee, <clears throat> and we engage with them around a small number of activities that we that they know drive long-term engagement. And so they don't give us every single insight into their apps because they're a big company. They want to keep some of that internal. But what they do give us is driving good value and it's continued to scale the relationship. Then we work with another partner called Difference Games. They're more of a smaller casual provider and we do a 100% revenue share with them. So every user <clears throat> gets points for seeing video ads. You know, We'll actually re re reward every single level, every single purchase, we see the, f you know, everything, and then, and it's a multi, it's almost a year-long relationship with each app, so people can come in and play every day for points, <clears throat> and that's working really well, is, and because we're aligning again the interests of the players, right? They're getting points for games that they're already playing, and the app developer, Difference Games, wants them to play their mahjong game versus some other mahjong game, and we're taking our fair share to to create all that. And so um, both of those two are real success stories for us. And then we can pretty much work with any other app developer between those two spectrums, right? A full revenue share or, uh, you know, they're paying us on a CPI and mapping back into <clears throat> whatever their ROAS is. So the, what's a typical CPI that we need to aim at? And then what's a typical budget that we need to come to you with? So what we tell people is, we don't want to dictate to them the CPI because it's all about them hitting their ROAS numbers. So we let them dictate that. And then what will happen is, as you might imagine, people come in 
on the low side, <clears throat> which is fine, but our system is a performance-based system, so they'll start getting some traffic because we'll have users that have been around for a year and don't have a lot of other apps to try, and those are actually really good users for our new app partners to to experience. So they start getting really good results, and then they say, hey, we want more traffic. <clears throat> and I say, well, the only way to get more traffic is to bid, bid higher. So usually people might come in and say the $1 to $2 range for an Android offer and say the 175 to 275 for an iOS. <clears throat> that gives them a reasonable, reasonable amount of traffic. And then based on how we're hitting the numbers, right? If we're hitting the numbers and driving good ROS, they'll um, they'll want to spend more. Um, we, we see successful bids for iOS offers in the 5 to $6 range, not a, not a ton of them. It has to be a really good fit for our audience. Um, but then again, we also do rev shares where there's no guaranteed upfront cost, right? And we're just taking uh, a portion of, of, of all the revenue. And so uh, that's our goal. Our goal isn't to get them to pay a specific price. It's to figure out the right price that drives this long-term relationship that creates value for everybody. Maybe that's 75 cents. Maybe that's $4.75. Whatever it is, we try to work with each with each partner to find the right balance. Is there any SDK that we have to install? Uh, nope. We just need we need events posted back. So typically, if people have an attribution partner, that's a pretty easy setup. Uh, for some of our partners, like Difference Games, they actually just hard code our postbacks directly into their app. So if you don't have an attribution provider, we just give you our postback and you send the event name with the device ID and then we do everything else. Um, I was talking to a gal yesterday and she was like, this sounds too easy. Like the easiest setup. We don't need any creatives. We pull everything dynamically out of the app store. So uh, I don't know how easy it is compared to other things, but yeah, we just need events and a tracking link and we're good to go. That's really cool. Now, the what I want to talk to you about too, Dan, is you have a ton of like over a hundred apps with all, you know, targeting all the sports teams out there. How do you decide as a founder, like which one to focus on? Do you focus more on the advertising side? Do you focus more on getting you more users for the apps? How do you kind of decide that? So so there's two questions. Yeah, you, you have to have some supply, right? You need to have offers that people can install. And historically, uh, we worked with agencies that, that when we go to work with them, they have dozens and dozens of offers. And so you can get those more quickly. Uh, so we worked with agencies over the years. and then, uh, But we, of course, don't generate revenue unless we go get users on our side. So we use F Facebook primarily because we need to be able to identify that you like the 49ers and you like a specific series of teams or games. Uh, but we focus on who's winning, right? So on, on that side, when we do focus on that, we're not you know, no, no offense to the Browns with their two victories so far, but we're not heavy up on the Browns, right? We're, we're going off to the teams that have been good for a long time. So, uh, Patriots, Cowboys, Steelers, Seahawks, uh, and then teams that come up out of the blue. So like the Rams this year, we're starting to, to target, but they they have a very small social media footprint. They just moved to LA. So like we're constantly looking at what's the reach we can get on Facebook. Uh, how many fans are following them? Like we, we haven't had a a lot of success uh, targeting basketball fans until Golden State Warriors have, have been growing. And now their social media footprint is gigantic, and we see a lot of female engagement around them. So we're kind of looking at that. Like, what's your social media footprint? Our fans engage with you today. We obviously spend more 
for NFL during NFL season uh, and more baseball during baseball season, those types of things. So, and then we're matching that spend with the available volume on the partner side, as I mentioned. So like uh, one of our preferred partners is Blind Ferdinand Agency who now sells us directly like when we work with Scopely. And as they get more demand, we, we try to increase our spend to match the demand that they have on their side with the daily caps and the budgets. And so it wouldn't make sense for us to spend $50,000 a day if we don't have the requisite amount of supply. So it's constantly like get more on one side, start spending more and get more user acquisition. That fills the budgets. The budgets get expanded. We buy more users and back and forth. Oh, I love that. The, when you were talking about targeting Facebook, how do you guys go about doing that? So we try to do it as granular uh, as we can. So wherever meaningful changes to the creatives and the onboarding flow matter. So uh, we will target as tightly as, say, 18 to 24-year-old females that like the Dallas Cowboys and this series of games, and we'll use individual creatives that highlight even some of those games and sp very specific creatives that uh, typically highlight the rewards that someone can earn. Oh. And we'll pick things that might be like tank tops that might be more appealing to a 20-something than to a 50-year-old. And so uh, we'll target that small. When it's appropriate, sometimes, as you, as a lot of people probably know, the, the smaller your audience targeting on Facebook, the more expensive it can be. So we're constantly trying to balance <clears throat> going too small. So sometimes we will target more broad appeal uh, creatives, and we'll, so we'll target 18 to 45 years old or 24 to 54. <clears throat> so we're trying to f constantly find that balance of where do you get the highest quality user from an onboarding experience while not raising your price to you know, $20 CPMs on Facebook. Are you doing any type of, I know on Facebook you can pay per like action. Are you doing anything right th around that or is just, just, Hey, targeting, we got to get targeting, right? I have never had that. We've tested a lot of different things. I've never had the pay per action scale very effectively. We'll optimize the post install events. Um, but oftentimes I find that even that doesn't work as well as just bidding caps. Like we, we're pretty dialed in on the bid caps and the volume and we have a certain pace and frequency to our new campaigns that keep us at the spends that we want. And, but we've tested like 18 ways a Sunday, every different thing. And I mean, luckily we've been doing enough now with Facebook that like I, I get invited to be on their like little beta committees for new things that they're testing. So we get to see, see new stuff pretty frequently um but uh, and, and they've made some good improvements to their system really good improvements in terms of making sure you don't waste your money but uh for the most part we don't we don't target to those things exclusively i guess i like that i like a founder who just understands all this stuff the nitty-gritty still even while you have to worry about many things then you still know like hey what's happening on facebook it's uh it's one of the things I've enjoyed. I, I don't always enjoy it because it does get busy, but uh, we've we've had our ups and downs as a company relative to our growth. And so there have been times when I've had a team of people doing it. Uh, there's times when I've been able to lighten that team and do more automation. In fact, we have a, a lot of the things I'm telling you, uh, I'm supported by an automation tool that we've built that loads and automatically creates creatives for me, loads them into Facebook and manages it. And so I wouldn't be able to do everything I did without develop, good developers who built systems that would help me manage this stuff at scale. You know, having started many companies from on your side, Dan, like what's, what's one of the lessons that you learned throughout this whole process of just business? In general? <sighs> so yeah, automate, you know, like in, in both of my companies, 
oftentimes it's easy to say that, right? Because I've I've said that, and yet in both of my companies, I've scaled on the people side to manage growth. So a lot of times I've been able to manage, you know, I've I've grown to dozens to even hundreds of employees when, and then if things go bad, like, you know, you've got to cut people down and let people go. <clears throat> Whereas if I had hired more developers and focus on automation, like, you, you know, you could automate out a lot of roles and that sounds kind of harsh, but you don't want to put people into roles that they're not excited about anyways. And so there's this balance between trying to hire people and learn the nitty gritty. And that's one of the benefits I get from being, I'm, I'm a product guy. So I like to get in the nitty gritty and then figure out how to translate that into a developer solution. Um, but I've, I think I've learned the hard way that it's not always easier just to hire more people to get them to do these jobs. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes slaving away at the nitty gritty a little longer than you want to you can come up with a scalable technology solution and then have have developers build that for you i love that idea how do you know as somebody who's like more like process you know like i'm more like systemize and so like how do i go from systemize if i've systemized something with humans how do i go how do i think about like what i can do from an automated technical machine how do i figure that out and help me out personally it's a personal yes question. So I think that's hard because I've I've come by it naturally because I've been doing it now for 20 years, right? So and it, and it wasn't necessarily something I intuited. I would be frustrated probably 20 years ago, and I would complain to one of my developers, and he'd be like, "Oh, watch this!" And like in 15 minutes, he'd do something that like automated some horribly painful process for me. And I'm like, "What the crap? You could have done that six months ago, right?" <laughs> and so. I started getting to this point where I'm like, how do I automate anything that is rote that's super redundant? And so I've just gotten pretty good at understanding what those things are, right? And I try to get developers and work with developers that can translate my non, you know, I'm technical enough compared to most most people, but like I'm not a developer. So I need to be able to communicate my needs into a reasonable product uh, roadmap so that they can build it. <clears throat> and then just get people who can who can do that well. And I've worked with several developers for ten or twenty years now that are on my team that that know how to take my vision of a product and turn it into something that's scalable. And so I don't know that there's a secret other than you just have to start talking to people who can take your words and turn it into something. But if you can if you can see it so that to the point where you no longer are really making the decision right it's just like it's a rote process like i'm just mm. clicking but just clicking buttons rebooting this thing doing its really manual process computers can do that right and as long as you can define the rules the developer can build the rules and then you're good to go yeah i almost wanted that's a great way of putting it too because i have this aso process that i do and you know part of it is part science and part art but primarily science, right? Like, and I wanted a developer to just to sit by me as I do this whole optimization. So then he could be like, dude, just speak out what you're doing. I can automate this stuff. Like we have the data, we can do this and we can kind of put things here and there and I'll automate the rest for you. So like, I just need a developer to sit with me sometimes to watch me do it. And he'd be like, look, here's some errors, right? Cause I have, I'm kind of like you, I have some technical ability, but I'm not going to think like a developer would. Right. Yeah. And like I said, the science part is the hard part. When If you're making decisions that you can't describe based on like a gut instinct, right. like, the, like the word, you know, the book Blink or something, if you're looking at something and you can't know how you came to that decision, that's not a good thing to opt, uh, automate. But like, you know, if you're literally just 
rebooting campaigns and swapping in creatives and you have a thought process behind the optimization of those creatives like we have this thing called an automated campaign engine and it basically goes from like we use a lot of the creatives from fanatics which is a large gear provider so jerry rice jersey in the actual ads and so i used to have a full-time person just sitting there pulling images off of fanatics creating ads and instead we built a system that now literally creates thousands of creatives automatically as new things come in loads them up in the system automatically puts them into different buckets and you know based on some curation and then loads them on the face i mean like crazy amounts of work and each thing was just like one little bite that i had a developer build and now it's this real complicated you know system if you tried to explain that at once to somebody they they would be overwhelmed but we we did each little task broke it down to its smallest pieces and then they built it and and that's how i think really complicated systems are easier to build one little bite at a time. And <clears throat> now rebuilding it would be a crazy <laughs> task, but then you also know the parts that are most important to you uh, and what creates the most value. So, um, but I would definitely say that that is a sweet spot of, because uh, we have a pretty small team now, seven people, and we manage these 300 apps. The only way we could do it is because of all, you know, 300 apps and literally thousands of ad campaigns running simultaneously, plus all the relationships with the app developers. So you have to rely on a lot of automation. So. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, let's end with this, Dan. Give us one campaign that actually completely failed for you. So I have not seen, uh, everybody has been doing social media influencers, and I've been really wanting that to work. And, and I've had a few campaigns that have worked, but, but what I find is when I just give something to somebody and kind of trust that they're going to do it and I don't see the creative and I don't see what's happening, like failure is imminent. <clears throat> and so, uh, I don't know why I keep thinking that. So, I mean, you always want to think, Hey, I don't know everything. Clearly someone else has got, you know, got a way to do something better than I'm using, you know, what I'm doing. So you give it to them, but I keep being underwhelmed when that happens. Like if someone shows you what they're going to run stuff and it's going to, and it makes sense to you, mm -hmm. right? Like then I trust it, but I keep getting, I keep thinking that there's some, something new under the sun and someone's going to surprise me with something awesome that I, doesn't even make sense. And I keep getting underwhelmed there. So <laughs> I kind of feel the same way as well. <laughs> well, Dan, before we hit the big finish, I do want to thank my sponsor, clevertap.com. They are in marketing automation platform. So as you're using Influence Mobile to get more users to engage with your app, well, Clevertap is going to give you the tools to see how best to re-engage with them as well. Whether they're uninstalling, what are they doing in terms of push notifications? How do you want to personalize it? So it works perfectly as you get more users through Influence Mobile, well, you're going to need Clevertap to really figure out how to re-engage them as well. They take to a certain step, but how do you use the right messaging? How do you personalize the push notifications to get them back in? And one of the coolest features that I keep telling my clients is that the, they do these silent ghost notif push notifications. So they know if somebody is uninstalled and if you're doing Facebook connect, or if you grab their email addresses, well, you can shoot them the quick email and say, Dan, notice that you're not using the app as much anymore. Can we ask you why? And they have a case study where one of their clients reduced the uninstall rate by like some insane percentage, like 19 or 20%, just by doing the quick little email, just to figure out why they're no longer using the app. So if you're looking to re-engage your users, they have the analytics, they have the platform. It's an all-in-one solution to help you do just that. Go check them out. It is clevertap.com. Let them know you heard it on this very podcast. So I get a little bit of love too. Nothing monetarily, but just so they know that they, they heard it from on this very podcast. Once again, it is clevertap.com. Dan, 
This has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app we definitely have to check out. So I'm addicted right now to voodoo games, and the, my nice. favorite game is Hole.io. Uh, it's the same kind of game mechanic you see in a lot of different places, but you're just this hole, and you got to go around and start small and get bigger and bigger and bigger. And when I start playing that game, I I literally am like compelled to not stop because I think I can just get a little bit more and a little bit better. Uh, I've only been playing it for four or five days, but I love I love hyper casual games. I, th- I love where that's going. Like I've been a big gamer as as I showed you. I've got a big arcade game in my office, but um, that's my latest my latest hot one. And I was playing what's it called big big baller the week before which is basically the same thing you're a big ball and you're rolling around trying to roll on top of other people i love those kind of games and uh, i would recommend people check it out they're they're doing a great job i actually wanted to create a video kind of just looking like downloading and playing all the voodoo games just to show if there's a common theme because they're very very like metrics focused yeah look at retention a lot dan what's a lesson that took you the longest to learn so i think the we discussed this a little bit before, but I'm 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 overly trusting that that people I'm going to work with are 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 really invested equally with what I'm doing, right? I'm a very big picture person. I don't want to waste my time with business partners who are going to just be my business partner for a month, and so I'm constantly trying to figure out how do I create win-win situations for everybody. And a lot of times, I'll waste a lot of time talking with somebody, uh, trusting that they have the same view, only to find out that I've wasted a lot of time with them. And so uh, whether that's on the advertising side, like some of the social stuff I was mentioning to you, or partners who are representing other app developers, a lot of times people are out for a quick buck. Uh, And so I've been trying to figure out, I still haven't been perfect at this lesson, but I'm becoming much more cautious on who I'm partnering with and how much time I'm investing in those. And I'm putting more time in fewer partnerships and, and seeing them scale a lot. And, and I think that's the success versus kind of like a million irons in the fire. So is it a gut call, whether, you know, somebody is out for a quick buck or is it, a, is there a question that you like to test them with? See, I, that's the part I'm still learning. I'm not sure. Like, uh, I just know my old strategy of more irons in the fire is better is not right. Right. I'm still getting trying to get, you know, better at where that line is. I do know on the advertiser side when 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 I'm talking to somebody, if they're not willing to take the time to get the post install events and these things set up and they're just like, Hey, just set this up, give us a hundred installs, it'll work out. Like those words I know tend to not follow a partnership that's gonna work out. Uh and then on the advertisers, you know, when we're when we're advertising, if someone can't show me where my ads are actually running, which just seems super obvious, mm. uh, it's probably not going to be working out. So, well, the website is influencemobile.com. If you want to learn more about that engage platform and use their platform to drive really engaged users to your game to your app, it is engage.influencemobile.com. Just go to influencemobile; you'll find everything there. Dan the listeners want to follow up with you personally or do you want to send them anywhere else uh nope they can you people can email me directly daniel at influencemobile.com or they can check out the site and see what they want uh, i did want to mention one other thing we just recently uh were recognized by apps flyer as a top media property uh and so we have some other people besides us who are recognizing us and so hopefully if you're listening to this and you do need to get installs you'll check out the list apps flyer performance index and and find us or just trust to Steve and, and reach out to us and uh, let us help you uh, get something going. Tell Dan you heard it on this podcast yeah. as well. <laughs> so it is, once again, Influence Mobile. Dan, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Thanks, Steve. Have a great day. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you at the next chat.
Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.